today we're going to be discovering what the Bible says about resurrection, but we're going to do it a little differently. We're not going to take a passage from the New Testament. Instead, today, we're going to be looking at what does the Bible say about the resurrection from the Old Testament? Because really, we believe that all of the Old Testament and the New Testament combined, they all point forward to one reality. That's the reality of who Jesus Christ is. And so both the Old Testament and the New Testament are fulfilled in Christ and through Christ. So please turn your Bibles to Ezekiel. It's one of the smaller books in the Old Testament. Ezekiel chapter 37. We're going to be reading from verses 1 through 14 together. Let's listen to God's holy, inspired word together. The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones. And he led me among them, and behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley. And behold, they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, Oh, Lord God, you know. Then he said to me, prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, behold, I will cause breath to enter you and you shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you and will cause flesh to come upon you and cover you with skin and put breath in you and you shall live and you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as, as, as I was commanded and as I prophesied, there was a sound and behold, a rattling and the bones came together, bone to bone. And I looked and behold, There were sinews on them, and flesh had come upon them, and skin had covered them. But there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me. And the breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried up, and our hope is lost. We are clean cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people. And I will bring you into the land of Israel. And you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people. And I will put my spirit within you, and you shall Live, and I will place you in your land, in your own land. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. I have spoken. I will do it, declares the Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this wonderful picture of resurrection. Thank you for this wonderful, vivid detailed picture of making dry bones alive by your word and through your Holy Spirit. God, I pray that, that for each and every one of us here who are dry, who are weary, who, who find life to be hopeless, I pray, pray that you would make us alive through your resurrection power in your name. Amen. As a community, we've been reminded a lot about death lately. A few days ago, a week or so ago, we were reminded about the death of a young police officer. His life was cut short in the line of duty. Now, this week, this weekend, our, one of our members, our, our elder statesman, Jim Hubert, he is awaiting his own death as he slowly fades because of congestive heart failure. 
whether young or old, so the saying goes, that death comes for us all. Death is one of the inevitable facts of life, is it not? If there has ever been something that seems like a foregone conclusion for each and every human throughout history, it's that all die and and death is irrevocable. Or so it seems, right? No matter what medical advancements are made, no matter what changes we make to our diet, no matter how great the environment becomes, death will still come. Death comes for all. It's a fact of life that we all die. It's only a matter of when. No one has ever beaten death, have they? Well, except for one man, no one has ever been able to stay alive. I feel my own death creeping up slowly. Now, I'm not being morbid. I'm, I'm still in my 40s. I, but every day when I get up and my bones ache and I'm weak or when I've sat too long and I hobble across the room afterwards, I'm aware that death is at work within me and it's really only a matter of time. Now, hopefully that time is no time soon. But we feel the effects of the curse of death. Even Lazarus, think about it, even Lazarus, after he had been resuscitated, he died. He remains dead, or so his body does. Death seems to have the final say. But for Christians, we have this really surprising, and if you think about it, it's kind of a strange belief. We have this surprising hope, this surprising belief in resurrection, Now, if you think about that, has anybody here ever seen somebody who's been dead and buried in the grave come back alive? Anybody? No one alive today has ever seen someone in the grave to the state where their flesh is decayed and they were just bones come back alive again. Resurrection's a strange concept, and if you think for a moment, it's hard to grasp. How can it be? How can it be? Well, I believe in our passage in Ezekiel, God is showing us just how disruptive and miraculous a notion this idea of resurrection is and how it occurs. And the first question that we're confronted with, if you're reading Scripture, honestly, is the same question that God actually asks Ezekiel. And he asked the question, it's the one that we need to grapple with, it's the first thing we're going to grapple with is, can these bones live? Maybe you're aware of your own human frailty and you're thinking, can can these bones live? Well, God, in this passage, he's given Ezekiel kind of a virtual reality tour of this valley. And in this valley, it says it's full of bones. Can you imagine the picture for a moment in your own mind? He's transported to this valley, this low place, and that's a low place not just physically, but also symbolically a low place for God's people. And so he brings him to this valley, and he has this, this valley is full of bones everywhere. And everywhere he looks, there's bones. It's full. And then God, to, to make his point, he walks Ezekiel back and forth amongst the bones. Wouldn't you like to do that? A desolate valley full of bones. This death valley Everywhere he looks on the surface, it's, it's full. It's like a huge army had been killed, if you can imagine it, but yet not one survivor was left to bury the dead, and they've all been left out in the open, and yet n- there's no scrap, no shred of life. Not even their clothes have survived the decay. It was not only full of bones, he says, they were very dry. Not to be too graphic, but in November I got to go hunting and I, I killed a deer. And um, if you're against hunting, I'm sorry for you, but um, um, I, I believe that God, when he told Peter, rise, kill, and eat, that was a command to me. So he, when he gave us that command, so uh, fulfillment of that command, went, rose, I killed, and I, eat, I ate, and um, we, I butchered the, the deer. And my kids, though, they, they liked that it had a rack and they wanted to keep it. They said, Dad, can we keep the rack? Can we keep the skull? Can we mount it somewhere? And I said, Sure. And so then I found out how much it cost to, to mount a head. And I said, no. <laughs> um, $450, no thanks, that's okay. I'll let nature take its course. And so I had a great idea. I'm gonna leave 
the head out on, on, on top of something up high where, where nature can kind of go its, its course. Well, it took about three months of putrid stink for the, sorry to be graphic, for, for all the flesh to, to rot away, for it to go away, for them to become so that you could see just bones. And then it took about four months until just like a week or so ago from November to last week where they're finally getting dry. The picture we have here is of bones that are so dead, so decayed, the process is so completed that these bones are very dry. There's, there's no chance. I've never once thought when I went out back and looked and saw that gruesome deer head with the jaw falling off and all that kind of stuff, I've never once thought, oh, you know what? Tomorrow I bet that thing's going to get up and walk around. That's an impossibility. It would, not, it would be the furthest thing from my imagination. It's the furthest thing from Ezekiel's imagination as well. God's walking him back and forth amidst all these dry bones, and they've been bleached by the sun. There's no sign of life. That's why he's going back and forth. God's saying, see, look, there's no signs of any life anywhere, no scrap, no shred, no hope. Everything is done. What a foreboding, devastating, depressing scene, isn't it? Imagine if God was leading you through all those things and seeing all that death. And then leading around all those bones, God asks Ezekiel the question. He says, can these bones live? How would you have answered that question? Can these bones live? I mean, I guess theoretically, right, God? But Ezekiel's not dumb. He's the prophet of God. God's spoken to him before. He knows better to say, I guess, theoretically, because God wouldn't be too pleased with that answer that's not really full of faith. So he kind of hedges his bets a little bit here, and he Maybe he heard of the few miracles that God had done, the very few in history in the Old Testament where he had raised two or three people back from the dead, but Ezekiel knew that they died eventually, and he knew that nobody has come back, no one in the Old Testament or New Testament has ever come back from the state of dry bones to back to life again. So, but he asks this question of Ezekiel. He says, can dry bones, can these bones live? Is it realistic? Is the resurrection of these bones really possible is the question he's facing. Maybe you can relate to this kind of question. Maybe you are here and you are in the midst of dryness and you're feeling, can, can these dry bones live? Maybe you are actually not a believer in Jesus Christ and maybe you are aware of your impending death and you're thinking, is there any hope for me? Can these bones live? Maybe you're in the midst of suffering or pain or physical difficulty or relational problems and you're faced with this question. It's a real question. Can this area of deadness in my life ever be alive? Can my dry soul ever be restored? Can this problem I'm facing ever go away? Can my relationship ever be healed? Maybe you're wondering, will I ever be alive again? Ezekiel answers God. He says, oh Lord God, you know. He knew God could do anything that he wanted, but it was ultimately up to God. And, and really, the, it was ultimately a question of whether it was God's will to make the bones alive again. And so God's answer, though, in this passage, it's immediate, and there's no equivocating. God doesn't hedge his bets. He doesn't stall. He doesn't wait and say, well, if you do this, then I'll make these bones alive. It doesn't depend on Ezekiel's answer. It doesn't depend on the bones themselves. But he says something that brings us to the second idea we discover in the passage. is God wills, God wills that dry bones can live. Isn't that good news? He wills that dry bones can live. God has a way, and he answers his own question in verses 4 and 5, and he tells Ezekiel something that's very strange. Think about it. He says, Ezekiel, prophesy to bones. Now, who here has ever spoken to a bone and had to hear you? Anyone? It just it doesn't happen. You might be thinking, well, God, that doesn't really make sense. Ezekiel is probably thinking, well, how can I prophesy to bones? Shouldn't you, like, make them hear first, and then I'll give them your word? Shouldn't you give them at least ears Maybe we think, wouldn't it make sense, God, if you made these bones first full of flesh and full of your spirit, and then I would give them a word, so then it would make sense, and there'd be this different order here. And He's telling Ezekiel, though, something very important. He's telling Ezekiel that it is his word. It's God's word, the word of God spoken that makes bones alive and able to hear. 
He tells the bones to hear the word of the Lord. It's, it's the command of God's word that makes the bones able to hear. God's word comes first. And he tells Ezekiel to speak to the bones and prophesy to them that they will live and that God will make flesh and muscles and skin come back on them and they will live and know that God is the Lord Yahweh, the creator. And it's, it's through the bones hearing this testimony of God's word that, that the bones begin to have life put back in them. It's God's living word that, that fills the bones with life. And it's instructive because it's through the speaking of God's word that he makes life come to humanity. It's as you and I who have placed our faith in Jesus Christ, as we heard the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, as we heard the word of God proclaimed, that is what we respond to. That is what God uses to to make us alive and able to hear and so Ezekiel does what he's commanded, and he prophesies. And then there's this scene, this kind of this graphic scene. He says, I heard a sound. And he hears this rattling. And imagine a whole valley full of bones all rattling together. It will be a little unnerving. If your kids are here and they're less than 12, parents, you're welcome for tonight. I hope they sleep well. Um, And there's bone to bone, and this structure is placed together, and we have this skeletal structure once again. And then look in verse 8. He looks again, and he says, there's sinews. There's these connective fibers, and there's tendons and ligaments, and then muscles are put back on. And then skin. It's this process of rebuilding and reanimating the body, and God's fully restored them back to recognize bodies once again. And you think, oh, now there's hope. But then Ezekiel says he notices something in them, There's no breath in them. No one wants that. (laughs) No one wants an army full of bodies to be reanimated with no actual breath in them. That's, That's not real resurrection hope. There's something still missing here. And at first it seems, has God's prophecy not worked? Has his word not worked? Has it not made the bones really come alive again? Has it failed? Maybe the bones were too dry after all, but just as Ezekiel notices there's no breath in them, God speaks again, and the third truth that we see in this passage is that God's spirit must make the dead alive. God's spirit must make the dead come alive. God tells him something else after this. He already told him, hey, you're going to prophesy they're going to come alive, but then he intentionally breaks them into two faces, doesn't make it all happen once. He says, okay, now, now that you see that something else is needed here, my word is needed, but there's something else needed to make alive, he says, now, prophesy again. This time, prophesy to the breath and call from the four corners. And this breath, this word for breath here, it's, it's the same word that's used for spirit, or, or uh, ruach is the, is the, the word this breath, this spirit. And God explains that the bones, the bones need breath. And so he tells Ezekiel to prophesy. And it's this two-stage process. And, and as you're reading Ezekiel, you're meant to think back to another time where there was this two-stage formation or recreation or creation, really, to begin with, right? Adam's creation at the very beginning. God formed him. But Adam was not yet alive. What did he need? He needed God's spirit to be breathed into him, to be made alive. God breathed, same word for here that we see in creation. God breathed his spirit, his his breath into man, and man came alive. And so he tells Ezekiel to do the same thing. These people who once had the breath of God, who no longer have the breath of God, they're dry bones, they're dead. He says, speak and prophesy to the breath. And it's a picture, really, of a new creation, a recreation of man being made alive again, this process of forming and then filling with new life. And it also highlights something else. It highlights there is a difficulty here that is not humanly possible. It requires something from outside. It's not enough that the bones be restored and then that flesh be put back on them. They must have God's breath. And the Spirit gives the power through which 
people are regenerated is what he's communicating here. But Ezekiel is the messenger who brings this power to bear. Well, look in verse 10. Ezekiel then prophesies and the Spirit enters them and makes them alive and raises them up on their feet. And now he says, now there's an exceedingly great army here. So what is it that we're saying here? What is it that we're seeing? What we're seeing is that God resurrects. It's the, the fourth idea here. The God resurrects and he restores hopeless people. What hope Did these dry bones have? Were they even crying out for hope? Did they even know they needed hope? They were beyond hope. And in case Ezekiel hasn't made the connection with real people from this 3D virtual reality vision he has, God explains that the bones he's seen, they're the whole house of Israel, God's people, his chosen nation, his chosen people. And he says, these these bones, they're all of Israel, and all of Israel has lost hope. They despaired of life, they've given up. And you see what was happening at this time is that when the people of Israel, they have been taken into exile. That's the context for the book of Ezekiel. They've been taken into exile in a foreign land. They're in the midst of Babylon. And Babylon, by the way, is the symbol for the worst that God's people can experience, a condition that that is most hostile to God's people, and they are far away. They're they're away from the temple, so they can't come into God's presence. They don't have a sacrificial system. They don't have the priesthood here to intervene for them. And they're away from their land, the promised land, the place that God said he'd bring them into, and he would bless them. And yet they're far away from all these promises. They don't see any of it happening. They've lost hope. They're in complete and utter despair. Why were they there? You have to ask the question, why are they here? Well, earlier in Ezekiel, we see that they're there because they have consistently, time after time, for hundreds of years, God has been merciful and slow to anger and rich in love and patient, but time after time after time after time again, they have defied God and gone away after other idols. And so finally, they've pushed God to the brink, if you will, in, in a sense, and they pushed his mercy to a brink, and he says, no longer, no longer, and he, he places them into exile as the just penalty or punishment for their idolatry. And they justly deserve his wrath that we're told earlier in the book of Ezekiel, just like each and every one of us here. Our consistent idolatry, going after other idols time and time and time again. We deserve that wrath. We deserve exile. And now here in Ezekiel's time, not only are they despairing because they're in exile, things seem to have gotten even worse because they've just gotten the news that Israel and Jerusalem was sacked again. So any relatives they had back home were likely dead now. Their friends, their family were destroyed. The temple was, they was all gone. All the walls had been raised to the ground. And there was nothing left. There was nothing to go back to. They didn't have any hope here. They had little means of probably making any livelihood. They were outcast. They were slaves They didn't hope for anything else, and they couldn't even hope to somehow escape and go back to their home because it wasn't there. Their hope was lost. Maybe you can identify with that feeling this morning. Maybe you feel like an outcast. Maybe you feel like you've been placed in exile somehow. Maybe you feel like your circumstances, your situation are completely incomprehensible. Why would God allow this? Why would God place me here? Why would he let this happen? There's no hope. Maybe you feel like you're surrounded by strangers, but all alone. Maybe you're struggling with a hopeless marriage, or maybe you feel so deeply stuck in your sin and your own inability that there is no way out. Maybe you're depressed and don't feel like you can go on. Maybe you have a debilitating weakness or illness, and you feel like, I'm just too weak. I'm too dry. Can, can these bones live? Maybe it's your financial picture and you feel like I've been cut off. 
and there's no way out. Maybe you've contemplated taking your own life so that it'd be easier on people around you. Maybe you're dealing with the death of a friend or a loved one or maybe you're facing your own mortality. Maybe you feel cut off from God's presence. And when you think about it, maybe, maybe you're feel, filled with feelings of, of dread and doom, kind of like the people of Israel had. Will this ever change? Here's something interesting. God, he doesn't disagree. He doesn't disagree with the house of Israel that there's no hope in themselves. In fact, he highlights it with this picture of them having dry bones. He says, that is what they're like. I don't disagree. That's what they're like. There is no hope for them on their own. They're dry. They can't do anything about it. And it's not the hope that he's going to introduce that he introduces and reinforces. He says there's hope for the house of Israel, hope for the future, but it's not based on what the dry bones, the skeletal remains of his people can do for themselves. That would be just as absurd as me getting home and finding the deer greeting me when I pull in the driveway. That's not gonna happen. Not even in my wildest nightmares. It's not gonna happen. But their hope is in God, and that's what he wants Ezekiel and the people of Israel and for us to see. Who has not left them. See, these dry bones were not abandoned by God. He walks among them. And he sends his words so they can be reformed. And then he sends his spirit to make them alive again. And this is a very sure and certain hope, but it's only God who can make them alive. That's what Ezekiel needed to see. That's what the people of Israel needed to see. That is what you and I need to see. But there is hope. God walks among his people. He's not left them alone. And then he says something else. Look down at verse 12. Did you notice he calls them something? And it's interesting. These are dry bones. They're dead. They're gone. They're away from him. They're depart. They've, they've experienced justice and wrath. But he still calls them something. He says, my people. They still belong to him. God's not left them. They're his people. They're people for his own possession. And they're still God's people in exile. And they're still God's people even though they're in their graves. God is able to reform them and reshape them and fill them. Not only that, he promises to bring them into their, their final resting place, the promised land. And then God promises, look down your Bibles, when they're raised up, he says, they'll know that I am the Lord when I open their graves and raise them up from their graves. And now look down at verse 14. Not only that, God promises something that's somewhat new to the people of Israel. He promises something that we've not really seen before. He says, I will put my spirit, but not just around them or on them, within them. I'll put my spirit within them and they will live. Now we know for the people of Israel, the physical people, this prophecy about restoring them and putting them back into their land, it did eventually happen. Um, the book of Ezekiel is not written in chronological order in the Bible, um, but it falls in a place in time that's before the books of Ezra and Nehemiah. And we know from Ezra and Nehemiah that God actually did what he said he would do here. and He brought them back into the land, and he restored them, and he rebuilt their laws, the, the walls of, of Jerusalem, and he, he put them back in their place, and he made them his people, and he let them know him once again. And we see that the infusion of the Spirit, though, is what results in being given new life and new power to live. So it seems to be about the recreation of Israel through God's word and by God's spirit. Even though the people have justly undergone God's wrath for their idolatry, they've been carried away for their sins. There's no hope for them, humanly speaking. God's able to make them alive. And even though they've earned their hopelessness and the sense of death that they have, and it's very real because of God's wrath, they now have a very real hope. Hope for the future is God's people because of God's grace and his sovereign will to make them alive and bring them into his place. He will do what he said he will do. That's what the, how it ends. He'll make them a new creation, but how can we be sure? 
Because did it ever really happen in the Old Testament? Did it ever really happen that he placed his spirit within all of his people? How can we be sure for us? How do we know we can be forgiven? How can we be sure that God will do the same for us or for our loved ones? You see, the word to them, although it wasn't completed in the Old Testament, all of God's people, they they will and do have his spirit within them. The word wasn't truly fulfilled yet, though, in this passage. That is, until you fast forward 900 years or so, and it's found in another resurrection. It's found in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He was the first born from the dead, if you will, the first one to be made alive and have God's spirit within him. But you have to ask, has God ever shown us or given us a resurrection that's final, that we can truly trust in to last? Well, the answer for us is that there has been a permanent resurrection so far. It's not just a vision. It's what we celebrate today in the the, the final point that we're going to share in this back to the future message is that we can be sure that dry bones can live because of the resurrection of Jesus. All of the Old Testament was pointing forward, longing for the day when God's people would finally be made alive and finally be reanimated with His Spirit because that is what's truly needed is God's Spirit. You see, Jesus is the true Israel, the God's truly faithful son, the only perfectly obedient man, and yet Jesus died. He was an exile. He was exiled on the cross. He, was, he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Exiled him to the cross for what? For God's penalty, his wrath against sin, but not his own sin, against all of our sins. It says that he bore in his own body on the tree our sins. He was justly exiled. God's wrath was carried out. He was truly dead without any human hope for being alive again. He was left in the grave until the third day when it was beyond all human possibility for resuscitation. And yet, God made Jesus alive, or Jesus became alive again. And we know from eyewitness accounts of over 500 people that Jesus appeared to over 40 days. You can't fake it that long. No twin can pass himself off as another person for 40 days to over 500 people at once and then countless people as well. Jesus had been raised to life and he is alive. Now this prophecy of God's people being formed and made alive and filled with the Spirit, it's fulfilled in Jesus. So now this this new Israel, the Spirit-filled people of God, it takes shape, but it takes shape through people responding to His Word and then Him filling us with His Spirit as we find ourselves dead in Him, as we consider ourselves, all of our sins nailed to the cross, as we consider our bodies to be have crucified with Him, And yet, as we also place faith in Jesus, say, yet, nevertheless, I live in Christ. That's where my faith is, is that when Jesus Christ was raised, he enabled me to be raised. Back in verse 11, they said, our bones are dried up, and our hope is lost. We are clean cut off. You know, that's the exact same language the Apostle Paul uses in the book of Ephesians, Um, In Ephesians 2, verse 1 and 2, he says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. All of us were dead. We were those dry bones. Maybe you still are. Your state was like the state that Ezekiel saw. And no matter what you think, no matter whether you think right now this morning that, you know what, I'm doing fine. I think this is a great little myth, and I'm doing okay on my own. If you think that, 
It doesn't change the reality, the fact, the fact that all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us are dead in our sins. Whether you realize it or not, it's only a question of whether you will see it. Or if you are aware this morning, and you're aware that we're just dead women and men walking, the question is, is it really possible for people who are dead and justly cut off from God because of his wrath and sin, is it really possible to be made alive again? Is there, is there really hope for us, God's people? Not only is it possible, God wills to make the dead alive. The answer is yes and amen. And not only that, we know that it's, it's pleasing to God that people would respond to his word and be made alive. In, in 1 Timothy 2, 3 and 4, it says, It is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior who desires, check this out. You know, when we ask Ezekiel, he says, you know, can these bones live? And Ezekiel says, oh, Lord, you know. He was kind of saying, well, God, if, kind of if you will, you know. And so God here tells us through the Apostle Paul, and Timothy says, he desires all people to be saved. God wills. And to come to the knowledge of the truth. And then Paul explains how people come to the knowledge of the truth. And in verses 5 and 6 he says, For there is one God and one mediator between God and man. One person who could take away the wrath so that we will not remain dead one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself what? It says, look down in, in the verse, or look up on the screen, it says who gave himself as a ransom. He bought us back for us all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. And it's pleasing that God's people be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth that Jesus came as a mediator. And so the answer is yes. These bones can live. And so Paul wrote, just like God spoke in the, the letter to the Colossians, Paul, Paul spoke just like God spoke to Ezekiel. In Colossians 2.13, he says, And you who were dead, and maybe you who are dead here, you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with his legal demands. This, he said, he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Isn't that good resurrection news? For those who've been saved by the truth about Jesus, all of our sins and the record of debt, this legal record that stood against us with demands, has been nailed to the cross and we bear it no more. There is therefore now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. But how can we be sure? We can only be sure if there's some kind of irrefutable proof that our sins have been paid for. Well, one verse earlier, Paul kind of begins to explain how this new life of the spiritually dead is received. He says, having been buried, and he doesn't say buried on your own. Says, having been buried what? Having been buried with him in baptism. Doesn't mean that baptism saves, but having been buried with him, and it's this picture that baptism gives us of being buried with Christ. Baptism is an outward seal or sign or an evidence that we've been buried with him. So having been buried with him in baptism, they're so close connected, in which you were also raised with him through what? Through your own ability? You kind of put your life back on your own bones? Is that what happened here? No, it says through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. We have irrefutable proof that all of our sins have been paid for, that your record of debt that stood against you, it has been completely wiped out and it no longer stands. Why? How do we know that? Because Jesus stands risen and he's at the right hand of the throne of God and one day he'll return. He remains alive, never to die again. And our hope is that as we find ourselves in him by faith, we too, it says, will be raised to new life. Notice in verse 13 of Colossians 2, if we can go back to that one. It says, God made alive. There's three important words. Together with 
him. We celebrate the resurrection because it's together with him that we have hope. There is no hope apart from being together with him. But oh, what great hope there is, resurrection hope. This astoundingly miraculous hope. You see, we've been given the same spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead and dwells within you. And if you have that same spirit, it says he will quicken your mortal bodies. We don't just have hope that we've been made alive in our spirits. We have hope that you know what? These messed up, fading bodies one day will be resurrected in him that all of our illnesses and ailments and problems and struggles and trials and suffering will one day no longer be. We will be perfectly resurrected in him because he has been resurrected. He was laid in a tomb among all the other tombs, bones all around him filling up the sides of the Valley of Kidron. It was because he had sin that had to be paid for. God couldn't pretend his justice had, not, had already been carried out. He couldn't simply wink at wrongs and pretend everything was okay. That wouldn't be justice at all. Sin had to be paid. And yet we know that he's paid completely. And so, you know, we, we've been told that baptism is a symbol of this death. It's an outward identification with his death, but it's also an identification with something else. It's not just saying, God, I confess that I could not make myself alive in you just as if I would drown and be dead. It's saying, I, I, I confess that I've entered into the waters of baptism, if you will, and died to my old life, died to trying to resurrect myself. There was no hope in me. I was a dead man at the bottom of the ocean with no hope, and yet we also confess and say, as we are raised out of the waters of baptism, that we proclaim our hope is in you. No matter where we are, if we feel like we're in exile or not. So these dry bones in Ezekiel's prophecy, they didn't stay dead. Christ did not stay dead. He came out of the tomb on the third day and he rose just like he said he would. He was vindicated. It proved that he was the Messiah, he was just who he said he was. He said, I'll, I'll, I'll die and I'll be raised on the third day. He, he explained this so many times throughout the Gospels. And he was raised just as he said he would be, proving that he was who he was and is. There's the lyrics in the song we sang earlier, In Christ Alone. They declare something wonderful, and I want us to declare it this morning. It says, Then bursting forth in glorious day, up from the grave he rose again. And as he stands in victory, sin's curse has lost its grip on me. No matter what you might be feeling or thinking, no matter how you might be feeling or thinking, sin's curse, if you place your hope in the resurrection life of Jesus, has lost its grip on you. You don't have to be bound by your sins. You don't have to be stuck there. Though your final resurrection is as far away, as John Piper says, as your ultimate physical resurrection, you have the resurrected spirit of Jesus Christ within you now. For I am his and he is mine, bought with the precious blood of Christ. So what does that mean? It means if you've been raised with Christ, no matter how you feel, there's no reason to truly despair anymore. You might feel cut off. You might be despairing like Ezekiel's original hearers here were. You might not be able to make sense of your situation and circumstances and the things that are happening to you or going on around you, but the objective, the objective truth of God's life-giving word, it keeps us and we continually reminds us that if we've died with Christ, we also will live with him. Romans 6, 8 tells us, now if we have died with Christ, we believe we will also live with him. That's our resurrection hope even though we don't fully see the reality of this resurrection life with him yet. But for now, eagerly, we await the time when we'll be fully resurrected in our bodies. We, we inwardly groan, as Paul says in Romans 8, awaiting the day when he will finally reveal his sons and, all, and daughters in all their glory, all their resurrected bodies. His hope gives us gives us a sure hope that even when we are in long-lasting, excruciating pain or suffering relationally, 
Our hope is that just like the body of Christ was brought back to life, so too we will be raised to new life physically as well. Not just spiritually. And that power of Jesus is at work in you right now to change you and conform you into his image until he makes you physically new. You might be pain, you might be in suffering, falling apart at the seams, <laughs> feeling the effects of sin and tragedy, and they are not good, but God is good because we know we have a resurrection hope. I like how C.S. Lewis put it when he said, he says, the New Testament writers, they speak as if Christ's achievements in rising from the dead was the first of its kind in the whole history of the universe. He is the first fruits, the pioneer of life. He's forced open a door that's been locked since the death of the first man. He's met, fought, and beaten the king of death. Death does not have the final word. Everything is different because he has done so, he says. This is the beginning of the new creation. A new chapter in cosmic history has opened. Jesus has beaten death. It has been defeated. You have been raised. He had the final word, and he's already said it. He said, it is finished. It was one word. He said, it is finished. It was to tell us die. And he's been resurrected to prove it. And now because of his resurrection and our union with him by faith, we one day know we'll be raised up to live forever. And, and this morning, if a band will go ahead and come up, this morning we have a, a special privilege. You can come up now, band members, by the way. Go ahead and come up now. We have a special privilege this morning. This picture of being dead and considering ourselves dead to sin and being raised to life God commanded in his word that, that we should repent and believe and be baptized. Why does God call us to be baptized? He calls us to be baptized to publicly identify with the fact that we were hopeless on our own, we were dry bones, we had to enter into the waters of his burial and be raised to new life, and that is why we celebrate resurrection life in baptism is really what we're, we're pointing to what we're celebrating this morning and this morning if I can have those two girls go ahead and um, come up we have a privilege of a wonderful privilege of celebrating together with what God has already done so if you'll come over and um, Aaron you can Go back as well. Um, we have our own baptismal. We don't have to fill up a pool anymore. Isn't that great? Um, if you could tell us who you are, introduce yourself, and you share your testimony and how you're identifying with being buried in Christ and raised to new life. Here you go. Just read what you have. You're good. <laughs> Um, my name's Rebecca, Rebecca Hamza. Today is Easter Sunday, and it is also the day Jesus woke up from the dead. I believe this is the day I should wake up from the dead, walk in his footsteps, and not look back in the past, but ahead in the future, knowing he will provide for all of my needs. I have seen how this world is compared to how Jesus acts, so that is why I've made the decision to get baptized publicly, just as he was nailed to the cross publicly. Excellent. That's wonderful, Rebecca. We are excited for you. Thank you. You can go to the back. Go ahead and give us, tell us your name. Tell us who My you are. My name is Sarah Rawlings, and I want to share my testimony. I want to be a Christian so I can go to heaven and be with God. I need to be saved from my sins and not have to go to hell. I have a I have argued, lied, and have gotten angry. All those deserve death because God's wrath towards sin, because His holy and because He is holy and cannot have any sin in His presence. I ask God to save me and help me not to sin and take away His wrath I, that I deserve. I remember one time when I was eight, I did something wrong, like lied to my mom about cleaning my room. That night, 
I was going to bed and I didn't feel good inside. I prayed to him and asked him to save me. I asked him to save me. I felt better inside and I knew he had changed me. Since then, I have seen fruit of God's work in my life. I don't stuff things under my bed and dresser as much. (laughs) (laughs) As much. I don't get mad at Abby as much, and it's a joy for me to help others and think, and I think it's probably the Holy Spirit. I try not to boss Josh around. (laughs) (laughs) I want to get baptized because God said to, and I want to obey him, and also to show people I'm a Christian. I hope it encourages others to know there is a way to be saved from their sins. It doesn't mean you won't ever sin again, but you won't have to face the wrath of God when you die. When you die, but you can, but you can be with Him in heaven. But there is more than that. Being a Christian also means God works in God works in me now, and I. Now and make me more like him. I get to help show others the way. I trust. I trust him for everything in life. Knowing God is a. Knowing God is in control and taking care of me gives me hope and joy and peace. Amen. Thank you, Sarah. Well, um, you can direct your attention back here in just a moment, and and as we do, I want to encourage you, um, if you have not placed your faith in Jesus Christ, um, even as they're being baptized, I would encourage you to place your faith, your hope in Him, that confess, God, I need you, I consider myself dead in my sins, and and God, would you raise me to life? If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, um, I would encourage you to reflect again on all the things that you feel like are hopeless in your life, where you're dry and you feel like there's no hope, to remember again, you've died to all those things, and now he's raised you to new life and new hope in his resurrection. So, Aaron, if you'll go ahead with Rebecca, and then I'll come back. 